Star City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. City, it's your man Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets, and you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Hello and welcome to the Hornets and Heartbreak Podcast. My name is Mark Bernanke and I'm here with my co-host, Tim Rogers. What's up, Tim? What it do, Liquor Mark? I'm doing pretty well, man. So the Hornets are meeting with Kenny Atkinson and Mike D'Antoni. So hopefully we're going to have a coaching decision on that soon. That's not what we're going to be talking about today, though, Tim. Uh, We're going to wait until we get an official announcement on the head coach, and then you can look for an emergency podcast for me and Tim on the uh, Hornets and Heartbreak podcast about that decision. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about the NBA Finals, but from the Hornets' perspective. So I had this idea of what lessons can the Hornets learn from these two NBA Finals teams. Because when you look at these teams, we're seeing sort of a transition um, from, like, stars joining a super team uh, from, like, the 2010s to now it's actually a lot of, like, homegrown teams. Both Boston and the Warriors are, are homegrown teams. When you look at the best six players on both of the teams, I think five of them are homegrown. So for Boston, you got Tatum, Brown, Smart, Williams, both Williams, Robert Williams and Grant Williams. And then they were all drafted by Boston. Al Horford's like a semi-home homegrown player, right? Like when you think of Al Horford, I think you picture him in a Celtics jersey, uh, despite what he did in Atlanta. And then for the Warriors, you got Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, Jordan Poole, Kevon Looney, all drafted by Golden State. Another player that's definitely in the top six is Andrew Wiggins, not drafted by Golden State. But all these teams, uh, both these teams have a lot of homegrown talent. So for the Hornets, we have our core three of LaMelo, Miles, and PJ all drafted by us. And we still need like two more picks to hit. Yeah, I think an interesting thing to look at, uh, you know, approaching these finals is where did the big men come from in this series? So you have Robert Williams with the 27th pick, Al Horford, you know, originally third pick, but that was back in the Kevin Durant draft. So, I mean, he was taken off the scrap heap. Any team could have had him this offseason. Grant Williams, 24th pick. Daniel Tice was undrafted. Draymond Green, famously a second-round pick. And Kevon Looney, 30th pick overall. So, you know, with the Hornets being so desperate for their big of the future, I think it's important to look at that and realize that, you know, we don't, you don't have to maybe make a massive trade for a Rudy Gobert, Clint Capella, you know, like a big splashy move. If you hit on one of the bigs, you know, even like midway through lottery and back, that's really where you want to use that draft capital. 
Yeah, I think another interesting thing with these teams is that they have multiple options at the five, right? Like the Warriors will go small with Green, big with Looney. Boston does something similar, right? They have multiple options at the five. Robert Williams, Al Horford, even Grant Williams plays some small ball five at times. Um, So the Hornets already have that option, and P.J. Washington is a small ball five. And, I mean, it's just been true for years. We, We need the actual five. Uh, which hopefully we can get in this draft or hopefully Kai Jones turns into that. Um, we, we need, you need flexibility in, in your lineups and particularly at the five position. It can't be PJ Washington playing the five all, all the time. That goes without saying we, we need a, uh, another piece and then maybe even another one, right? Like both teams have multiple options at the five. Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, if you look at these teams outside of, uh, outside of Curry and Smart and, you know, now Pritchard's kind of appearing, but like, all these players are between 6'6 six, six and 6'9. Six, mm. And, you know, the Hornets, I think that's one thing that Kupchak has done a good job of, you know, trying to accumulate a lot of, you know, three slash fours. Obviously, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, Gordon Hayward, even Martin, uh, Ubre as well. And when you look at these playoffs, I just think that if you, if you hit on, you know, like the a guy that can play the three or four at the 13th pick. That's absolutely what we should be going for because any good team just has just a plethora of wings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so like another, another point just kind of uh, going off of that is that like it, for the people saying that like we should trade now for Rudy Gobert or we should trade now for like another piece. I definitely think that that's the wrong approach. I was like open to the idea earlier on uh, this, this season probably like during the season when we were struggling. But when you look at these teams and like the outlook, they just didn't make any panic trades. They accumulated assets in the draft. We need to continue doing that. We're still a few years away from like our potential window, right. To actually make some noise. And we need more, we need more good players from the draft. Like we don't need to make any acceleration moves as Kubchak laid out in his, uh, in his press conference at the end of the season, these teams did that. They they were patient and they accumulated players that kind of came out of nowhere, like Robert Williams and Grant Williams for Boston, and then for the Warriors, Jordan Poole. Um, and then Andrew Wiggins just like randomly played better this year, too. So, you know, you just gotta be patient. And like next year is not the year. The year after that's probably not the year, but maybe, maybe three years from now. Three years looking, that's when yeah, yeah. yeah, when Lamelo, when that when that second contract will be start to become an actual factor. Right. And yeah, you know, you talk about not blowing up these teams. I mean, Boston, it's gone back since, I mean, I think even I was in high school when the Danny Ainge almost made this big trade came out and everyone laughed when Jimmy Butler was playing so well against them back when he was on the Bulls. But like, it turns out that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, they took the long road. That was a good thing for the last year and a half. Warriors fans have been begging to trade you know, what would have been the second pick in the draft and Wiggins, you know, pairing that for like a Bradley Beal. But no, it's like all these guys, you know, they didn't cave when it got a little tough. One thing they did do that the Hornets are now in the process of, they did fire a coach though. Yes. Pretty, uh, you know, at, at a time when it was kind of controversial, Mark Jackson and Brad Stevens, you know, they had had a lot of success with those guys, but they got a fresh voice in the room. Yep. Yeah. And so that's something the Hornets are doing right. Uh, if we learn from these teams is that both of them, you know, did fire a successful coach. Brad Stevens was like even more shocking, right? Cause that Brad Stevens was like, would you trade Brad Stevens for Anthony Davis? Like a few years ago, right? <laughs> like, like People were actually saying that, 
Um, and I think Mark Jackson, like at the time, it was extremely controversial. Now we look back at it and it's like, oh, it makes sense because Steve Kerr is so good. But at the time, it was like, what are you guys doing? Why are you, why are you getting a new voice in this locker room when the Warriors had had success? Um, and the same thing could be said of Borrego. I think a lot of people were taken aback at that, that decision. Uh, you know, now we're used to it. But at the time, I was like, what is happening? And I did not see that coming. You know, we both said 0% chance that James Borrego was fired this offseason. We were wrong. And um, so wise moves move from Kupchak there. And, you know, the, the future is bright. Like, I, I think Kupchak has the right approach. He's not freaking out. Um, he's, a, he's a veteran GM. And so I, I'm happy with, with the uh, sort of the tone that he's setting for these next couple seasons for the Hornets. And yeah, I think, you know, looking, looking even past that, you know, we talked about what, what do you want in a coach? I think you see these teams and I would say outside of, I would say the LeBron James Cavaliers, like second tenure run was an outlier for those teams. Cause those were like, you know, some pretty poor defenses throughout the year. Maybe they were coasting, but essentially since, since around like 2011, you know, like that Mavs run, any team that makes the finals, their top five defenses, yeah. you know, the Hornets, the Hornets, no one loves to hype them up more than us in like November. Man, they're so much fun. But realistically, you have no chance of making a deep run without being a top 10 defense. Yeah, and so the, the Celtics and the Warriors were the two best defenses in the NBA during the regular season. And that's not a coincidence. Finals teams, like you said, have good defenses. And I'm going to say it again. We need to get a good center. We already have the small ball five in P.J. Washington. We need a good center. Uh, and I would, but, but I would even say... I would say even more important than the centers, like you just need to always have, you know, like I think the wings are even like a more important part. Cause like, you know, Daniel Tice, not exactly. No, he's not, he's no Rudy Gobert, neither is Horford, you know, Williams. I think Williams, uh, one, one thing I do feel bad for him in this playoff run. Cause I thought he was awesome this entire year and his knee is clearly not right. He had yeah. the same meniscus surgery that Brandon Roy came back from too early and ended up destroying his career. So I, I do hope, you know, going forwards that, uh, that, so yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how we prioritize that, you know, like do the Hornets think about these finals or do they think about what the NBA could look like in three years when, you know, these picks are actually like, you know, more playable assets. So I guess in this draft, you're saying the ideal thing is get a wing and a center probably. Yeah, I would, yeah. especially because Cleveland is the 14th pick and obviously teams could always trade in to snipe a guy. But yeah, if you know you have a wing that you like and a center that you like, I think you should pretty much always default to the wing if they're in the same tier. Gotcha. Okay. Another thing is both teams have multiple ball handlers. Um, so when you look at the Hornets, we have like what Miles, Lamelo, and Terry's like also a ball handler. Uh, look at the Celtics. You got Brown, Tatum, Smart, and White. Uh, Warriors with Steph, Poole, Draymond, Clay. Multiple players that can handle the ball. So the Hornets are missing one or two. We need to develop book night, but also that sort of lends the question of like, should we draft another guard? I think most Hornets fans would think that's a bad idea. But if you look at these teams, we kind of need another guard. Like, you know, both, both teams have uh, depth at that position and ball handlers, whereas the Hornets really, you know, it's only Lamelo and Miles. Uh, Terry, Terry's not really as good on ball as he is off yeah. ball. Um, so, you know, like two and a half ball handlers, whereas these teams have like four or five. Um, so yeah, we need, we need somebody else who can, who can make some noise with the ball and play make. And they, uh, they both as well, you know, uh, 
the Miami Heat, you know, who made the conference finals as well. I think it's very helpful and underrated to like, it seems to obvious, like, obviously you want a big man that can like, you know, you're not going to run a pick and roll with Al Horford, but you put Al Horford at the elbow, like you can then change up your sets a little bit and get some more interesting looks. I think having a big man that's like a capable passer, almost mm. like, you know, like a release valve is very important. Uh, you know, that's been Draymond's. I mean, that's that's why he's going to make the Hall of Fame. Obviously, he's, you know, great defensively, but he wouldn't be playable unless, you know, he wasn't a great secondary creator. And now I think Biggs with, you know, just how much size is out there with so many 6'6 to 6'9 guys. When you do have a big that, you know, maybe see over, you know, see some different passing lanes, I think is very important going forward. And maybe we'll be talked about with one of these prospects. Mm, that's a good segue, but I want to say PJ Washington passing came on towards the end. Oh, of the that's, that's very true. We were super critical of PJ's lack of passing ability and just turnover machine earlier this year. But yeah, no, that's, that's actually a very fair point. PJ Washington and Grant Williams, like I, I prefer PJ Washington. But I do, I do get like some slight, some slight similarities there. And I know you're at the chess center right now. Grant Williams, not very popular there. <laughs> so I don't want to get into your longstanding beef with him. Yeah. You guys, you guys will have to, have to DM us for what's up with Grant Williams in chess. Um, let's, let's talk about the draft unless you have any more lessons to learn um, from, from this finals. No, no, just okay, much staying on wings, good defense coaches. Yep. Cool. Um, so Johnny Davis is one of the prospects we're going to talk about today. Um, he's a sophomore out of Wisconsin, averaged 20 points per game and two assists in his second season on 31% from three. And I want to say, you know, he's, he's mocked like somewhere around like 10, you know, maybe he'll be available. Maybe he won't. I think he's probably one of the worst like fits for the Hornets, uh, that we could possibly get. Uh, he's six, four. He's touted as, like, a good defender, um, but really perimeter defense just isn't as valuable as, like, interior defense as a skill set in general. Um, so, like, one of his biggest pluses is that he's a really good perimeter defender and he's an excellent rebounder for his size. That's not really the two things you want to hear for a guard prospect mocked that high in the draft. You want to hear, like, playmaking, good, excellent three-point shooting, you want to hear that the guard is good at offense, right? Offensive skills for guards are more important than defensive skills. And so he's a really good defensive player, but like you can't really switch on to bigger players because he's six, four, he doesn't have that big a size. I, I'm pretty out on Johnny Davis. Uh, what are your thoughts, Tim? Uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, I'd, I'd heard a lot about him and I was, you know, so I was pretty excited to see what was going on. And then I watched half a game and, you know, I, I did, uh, you know, just watch like probably two and a half hours of like compiled tape on Synergy. Uh, terrible. It, it would be so classic Hornets, though, that he would fall to us and we would feel obligated to take him. Almost like Malik Monk and James Booknight, the same thing happened. But I think offensively, I mean, James Booknight has a pretty weak handle, even though it can look good at times. He makes James Booknight look like Kyrie Irving. <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, the selling points of Davis is like, man, he's a really good post-up guard. And I'm like, well, how many of those are in the league? Yeah. It's like Chris Middleton, who's like two inches taller, and Devin Booker, who's a total, total outlier. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think, I don't even see Johnny Davis being like a secondary playmaker. Yeah. Uh, you know, like on a, on a solid team, I think the shot is pretty trash. And yeah, like if he was two inches taller, he'd be, you know, tantalizing. He'd probably be a top five pick, but 
the facts are the facts. And yeah, someone who can't dribble, can't get to their own spot, uses physicality while, you know, in college, just always a bad sign. Yeah. And he's like, doesn't have the same athleticism as James Booknight either. I, I look at him honestly, honestly, like as a prospect, like I was way higher on Booknight than I am uh, Johnny Davis. They are very similar though, in terms of like their size and lack of three point shooting in college, like lack of efficiency, but like showed flashes. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty out on him. I mean, I think like the upside is that if he gets to the NBA and develops a, a consistent three point shot, he could, you could see him being, being a play, you know, a good starting level shooting guard. Um, you know, this is how I knew I was low on him. Cause I was like, trying, I was like, who does he remind me of? And I was like, you know, I have bias obviously, but I was like, kind of reminds me of Cody Martin. <laughs> like, that's what I, I was like. Oh, I have that in my notes. <laughs> and Cody Martin's honestly more athletic, like I would say. But yeah, like I was like, so what? What would his best case scenario be? Like his 90th percentile outcome? I was like, maybe Gary Harris before Gary Harris got injured. Yeah, I was thinking like Dylan Brooks uh, was the uh, name yeah. that came to mind. Josh Hart maybe. Um, and that's not really really the kind of upside you want. <laughs> you want it's just not exciting. Yeah, it's it's not that exciting. Um, I think this is like a classic case. You know, he's Big Ten Player of the Year of just like a college player whose game is not going to translate that well to the NBA, in my opinion. Uh, and people just like saw him in college and are like, well, he has to be this this top, you know, top 20 pick or whatever. But like, I just don't see it. It's like, why don't we do the same thing with Drew Timmy then? Like, it's like these, these skill sets like just don't necessarily translate in the NBA. You want, again, you want a guard who is good at offense. Offense matters more for guards. And he just hasn't shown that yet. He's not efficient. Um, and, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of out. It, uh, any, any Hornets fan can appreciate this. I remember, speaking of another great Big Ten player uh, who stayed, stayed an extra year in college, um, Frank Kaminsky. You know, when Frank Kaminsky, when we drafted him, we were like, oh, well, man, he could be a great post-up player. You know, like, you know, he could really work out of there. He's a pretty good passer out of there as well. And then you realize you get to the NBA and maybe, maybe once every two games would Frank Kaminsky get a post up. Mm-hmm. And it's like Johnny Davis, it's like, you're never going to post up Johnny Davis is like, even on a second unit, that's not going to be like even your second choice. So yeah, it's like, how practical are these abilities that you flash at yeah. times, but it's like, you know, Johnny Davis, like if he's not able to, especially with the Hornets, I think are a pretty interesting case study in the lottery where like, there are other teams that could maybe use his creation early on, but Johnny Davis would be like our fifth option, right. sixth option, like out of all these guys. So yeah, I just don't, don't see it practical. And like, I just see there's a, you know, like his most likely outcome. I see him being maybe like a, a good third guard, almost like a, like Alec Burks before he got injured would be like his best case offensively. But even Alec Burks was way more athletic before Mm. he messed up his knee. So yeah, I just, I don't see it at all. Yeah. I'll say again that like, if he gets with NBA uh, shooting coaches, develops a three point shot, that's, that is his, you know, he could be a starting level guard. Um, But like, again, that's an, if he was hesitant to shoot in college, uh, he didn't didn't really show three point shooting ability. Loves uh, was, the mid ranger. Yes, loves a mid range shot. I'm out. I got I got nothing more to say. I hope we don't pick him. It's James Book. Yeah, it's no, James Book Night 2.0. But like 
maybe worse. Yeah, he he kind of reminded me of like the worst parts of Monk's offense and Book Knight's offense, and like didn't flash any of like the stuff that it was was really exciting. Yeah, he has a pretty low jump shot as well, where like I feel like it'd be pretty easy to close out on him. And like you know, if you get a like an above average defensive guard, there there's worse things in the world. But like, man, he can split a screen. That's awesome. But it's like, yeah, that's. That's about it. Was uh was super was super disappointed. Kind of reminded me of uh, Evan Turner as well, where a guy who was awesome in college, but just you look back on you're like, well, they can't dribble. It doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. All right, you want to move on to the next one? Yeah, let's let's talk about this. All right, Jalen Duran. So high upside swing at the center position. Um, so Tim, I'll ask. I'll start by asking you this: If Mark Williams and Jalen Duran are both available at thirteen which Durant, I think, is, is mocked higher, so he might not be available. But if he's available at 13, who are you picking? Um, so I've, I've heard the upside arguments. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, man, Durant, like, it could be, be so good. But as far as practical skill goes, Durant's not going to grow an extra two and a half inches, which is Mark Williams at. He's not going to get another two inches on his wingspan. He is two years younger, but I take Mark Williams, no question. Um, okay. really was, was kind of surprised how, how low I was on Duran. He kind of gave me flashes of like DeAndre Jordan more so where like when he gets up for blocks, it looks so good. You're like, man, he's like, you know, almost touching the top of the backboard. You know what Mark Williams does? He gets the blocks, but he just blocks it, you know, like midway through the shot. He doesn't wait for it to go up for a highlight. I just think that his defense is overrated. I don't really see the passing as much. And I think that Williams has, you know, a better, uh, better verticality based on his size and his wingspan. Yeah, I just don't. I was, I was trying to think of the argument. And uh, do, you, do you have one where, like, wh- why would you take Duran over him? So the argument is that he's two years younger, for sure. Um, yeah. He's 18 years old. He's going to be the youngest player drafted. Uh, so let me give you the counting stats. He played at Memphis, averaged 12 points, eight rebounds, and two blocks in only 25 minutes per game. And you mentioned the height and the wingspan. He's 6'10 with a 7'5 wingspan when compared to Mark Williams at seven feet tall and 7'7. Seven, seven. And I asked that question because I think it's most interesting to like compare these two players and which one you would prefer. I'd say he's definitely more athletic than, than Williams. I think there's kind of no question on that. Uh, more switchable on defense but more of a project. Uh, you know, he's coming in at 18. And if you're drafting Duran, you're looking at the upside. If you're getting Williams, he's more ready to go in the NBA right now. Um, so, you know, from that philosophy, it's like, oh, we should, we should go high upside. But, like, I don't know. He's, he's two inches shorter, and he's got a two-inch two less wingspan. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I, I'm not really sold either way right now, to be honest. He has, he's more of like a Robert Williams with, like, weak side rim protection ability uh, and switchability, like I said. And then uh, Mark Williams is more of like a Clint Capella, you know, like a lob threat, a vertical lob threat. Um, and, you know, again, less, less explosive, but potentially but he's also, more yeah. Williams, Williams is seven foot you know, not in sneakers. So he's really like seven two, like NBA, like practicality. So, I mean, that's like a pretty big difference when you get to that point. And so the switchability gets like, so the stuff with Duran where I don't actually see the higher upside as much, 
is I don't really buy the switchability, and I don't think that his offensive game is really ever going to progress. Like the jumper looks like fine. It kind of you know, like a Bobby Portis like kind of over the head shot, which looks fine. But like I don't think his switchability is really that good. I think on a lot of those, like he was able, he was getting burned by less athletic guards that are in the NBA, but his athleticism was impressive enough that he could clean it up at the rim. But I don't think he like just locks guys up in front of him which mm-hmm. is like what we're going to be looking for. So it's like, okay, in two years, Jalen Duran could be as good as Mark Williams, but it's not like he would be bam out of bio or anything like that. Like, it, I don't think the upside is really there as much because, you know, 62% from the line didn't take a three his entire time. Jumper didn't look great. He can make some nice passes. I could see like, it's like, is he Andre Drummond with a cooler name? <laughs> Yeah, maybe this is the cool name theory. Maybe uh, maybe it's just his name that's putting him up there above Mark Williams. What I really think it is is that he's been, like, known since he was in high school and, like, was just expected to be this, like, monster. Um, but, yeah, playing in Men- at Memphis in, like, a lesser conference and averaging worse numbers than Mark Williams is a little bit concerning. Um, you know, I was trying to think of, like, a comparison for the past where – you know, we have this like upside swing center and then we have a player who, you know, has played in college for two years and is a little bit more NBA ready. I, I couldn't really come up with one. Um, it's an interesting question. And I think it's more of a question than NBA scouts are kind of, you know, giving it because these two players are, are pretty close. I, I like the youth. I mean, like if you're if you're 18, you know, he's not going to be as good as Mark Williams right now. And two years down the line, I think he could be better than Mark Williams right now. Um, but, you know, there's the size difference. And if what you're saying is true about the lack of switchability, uh, then Mark Williams is just better. Like, that's just a fact. Yeah, I guess I should say I'm I'm higher on Mark Williams, like, you know, actually like on the perimeter than other people. And I'm lower on Duran. So, like, I could I could just be could be wrong on that. And I do have to give Duran his credit. I mean, He's one of the most like impressive like leapers I've like I can remember in the last like 10 years. I mean, it's pretty outrageous. His offensive rebounding is absurd, but it always scares me when they're like, "All right, so what do you really nail in offense?" And you're like, "Oh, this guy's great in transition." Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Well, I could be pretty good on transition." <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> it's it's open shots like, "Yeah, we can we can run." I just think that there's a lot of things that uh, you know, like offensive rebounding and transition not exactly the most important things. You know, you look, you know, like even these playoffs, like, you know, Memphis was the one team in a while that's been able to translate, like they kept up their transition numbers in the playoffs. I think he's good. Like I, I see why people like I could be talked into Durant where like you see some of the passes and you're like, okay, like, you know, Bam didn't really look that good in college. Like, you know, passing the ball, I could see it, but then you actually look a little closer at the passes. He had like more turnovers and assists. And a lot of the passes were kind of off the mark, which I think is an important thing to look at, like the actual pass accuracy. Uh, so that that scares me a little bit. Yeah, I just don't I don't really see the big upside on him. Like, yeah, I mean, he could he could be a really good like, you know, his 90th percentile. I'm like, OK, if DeAndre Jordan put it all together, he mm. could be one of the three best rebounders in the league and have some amazing shot blocks. And it's like, you know, could switch a little bit, but. Yeah, I just I don't know. I don't I don't see the big upside. I think that Mark Williams has the chance to be a better shooter. I wouldn't bet on either of them ever becoming a three point threat. 
Yeah. But I just think, yeah, looking at the body of work, I'm just, I was kind of confused to someone who wasn't, you know, like I remember Duran, like the high school rankings and Memphis, him and Amanya Bates. But mm-hmm. yeah, I just, I was, I was really disappointed. Never like an offensive rebounder, I have to say. What would you have for the low end? James Wiseman? Memphis comp? <laughs> you know, that, Zach, that's, that's really good. I couldn't, I, yeah, I just had a high energy big off the bench who was kind of matchup dependent. Like the rebounding does look great when it happens, but yeah, we've just seen a lot of these guys like, you know, Capella has been even like, you know, even though Capella was almost a defensive player of the year, two years ago, he's on the trade block right now. Uh, you know, DeAndre Jordan, shorter shelf, shelf life. And yeah, my, my man, James Wiseman. Uh, yeah, that, that, that <laughs> but, hurts. But Tim, he, he, could be, he could be Rudy Gobert with a jump shot, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've learned my lesson and maybe I'm overcorrecting. For this, but yeah, I just his defense really just kind of didn't boot for me. Uh, like, I mean, the blocks looked amazing, but yeah, I was like, can you one time just like block the ball when it's below the rim? Because, yeah. like, you know, that's and you don't want to compare any prospect to Tim Duncan, but you know, as the Spurs fan, you know, in my in my youth, they were always in the finals. I was a kid, like, Duncan was just so good at blocking more athletic players when they had the ball, like, shoulder shoulder height, just always had good hands. And Durant is just like, I'm packing this into the fourth row. Like, mm-hmm. I'm looking for the highlights. And that could be corrected, and if that was corrected, then I could see him being awesome. But also, yeah. they didn't – Memphis ran, like, barely any pick and roll. I think uh, he only had – he only had like 70 opportunities in the pick and roll this entire, this entire season. Yeah. And only got past the ball, I believe like 45 times. So, I mean, if you think he could do that, I just think that him and Mark Williams are really not that different. And I would rather have Williams skill set. I like it. So I'll say, I'll say that I am, I'm with you, but not as, not as heavy because of his youth and, you know, potential for development. Um, uh, But if they're, if only one of them's available, like we just take whichever one's available, I think. Um, that yeah, if if Durant falls to us and he's there at fifteen, oh, I'm gonna be talking about. It. I mean, he's gonna be way better than DeAndre Jordan. He's gonna be better than Gobert if we get it. Right. Yeah. I, I think that we just need to get like one of these two guys, regardless of what happens. Um, I also want to make the point that we already have Kai Jones, and Kai Jones is more similar to Jalen than he is Mark Williams. So it makes a little bit more sense to draft Mark Williams and you kind of have like both molds of player uh, where Kai Jones like can conceivably like play the four like a little bit, right? Uh, and Jalen Durant's kind of more in that mold. Like Mark Williams is a five, like no matter what. Durant like, like you know, like conceivably could be a four. Um, so I think that that makes more sense where you draft Mark Williams and you get like two skill sets. I, uh, I was doing some research. I had an interesting stat. Um... Because I was wondering, I was like, you know, what what do the Hornets, you know, like you would assume, you know, we'd kind of be bludgeoned by like, you know, good pick and roll big men. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was interested by this. So we were we were bottom five and actually guarding the roll man. Uh, we were only ahead of the Nets, uh, the Lakers, the Pacers who were who were tanking. But the frequency was bottom five. And I think in a way, maybe it's almost like a Jedi mind trick of like, oh, they have PJ Washington out there. Like, it's almost like, you know, with with all the uh, the similar size guys, teams didn't go for it very much. But it would be interesting to see, like, if we did have a big that was kind of spread out. And for, uh, for instance, like teams that had the most pick and rolls ran against them were the Jazz, the Spurs and the Suns that always run, you know, with, you know, traditional big man. 
Mm. And I wondered if that would change how we would have to operate our defense if we did actually have a playable seven-footer, not Mason Plumlee for 22 minutes a game. Yeah, so you're saying if we got Mark Williams and we're playing him, we'd get more pick-and-roll action. That makes a lot of sense. Um, whereas if we got somebody like Duran or Kai Jones out there, it's probably similar-ish. Yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe, you know, drop from bottom five to, you know, bottom ten. But, yeah, it just it was something, of course, you know, I, don't, I didn't do enough statistical research to back it up, like, over a five-year span. But that was, yeah, that was just the last two years. Well, I mean, I, yeah, that's actually, that's actually very interesting. Some deep research there from you, Tim. I had a lot of time to burn. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a minute since we released an episode. <laughs> All right. So final say is that you're taking uh, Williams over Duran if they're both available at 13. Um, I'm saying Williams over Duran, but like slightly less so than you. Uh, it's I'm I'm more I'm more conflicted than you are. Again, just because of the youth. Um, in that Williams is 20, Duran's 18. Uh, so he has more, more room it, for him. It is, it is a full two-year difference. I guess I'm a little burned because I was saying the same thing about Bismack Biombo, where I'm like, well, man, you know, like, this will be great. But <laughs> I don't know. So, I mean, I'm, I think I've, I've just been burned, and I was so high on Wiseman that, yeah, this, this definitely could have uh, scared me a little bit. One other thing with Duran, he had more games with five turnovers than he did with zero turnovers. Oof. It's kind of impressive for someone that had such a low usage rate. <laughs> Yeah, that is a lot of that is a lot of turnovers. I didn't I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, and only twenty five minutes per game. Yeah, so I mean, he was cooking. There were I think there were six games with five turnovers and four games with zero turnovers. So yeah, I mean, I just I wonder, but I mean, I could I could be totally wrong. Mm. Yep. So Hornets fans, email us. You know, hit us up on Instagram at Hornets Podcast. Let us know which one you're taking between these two prospects. Uh, you know, if you think we're wrong, hit us, hit us with a uh, counterpoint and we will, uh, we will bring it up on the podcast. If, if you can send a counterpoint that makes me not hate Johnny Davis, we, you'll, <laughs> you can come on the pod. You earned a spot in the pod if you, if you talk <laughs> us into that. Yeah. So, so, so far we've done like four prospects and we're like high on like one, uh, at least collectively, which is Mark, Mark Williams. Um, and we'll be doing more prospects in future es- episodes. Also, check out the, si.com slash nba slash hornets page we got stuff on the uh hornets head coaching candidates we got stuff on the on the finals me and tim both picked the warriors i picked them in six tim picked up in five so you know i always give the better picks uh in terms of that and uh (laughs) be sure to give the podcast a five-star review on apple Podcasts and on spotify if you haven't already followed and subscribed do that as well um, and get the word out. Share the podcast with your friends. Yeah, and absolutely. Thank you guys so much for uh, staying this late in the episode and taking the time to listen. If you could be so kind as to rate, review, and share, we'd appreciate it. Uh, one last thing, Mark. Are you changing up your finals pick? Are you sticking with it? No, I'm sticking with it. Warriors in six. Yeah. I'm sticking with my Warriors in five as well, because I think they've been the better team six out of the eight quarters. And, uh, yeah, ever since that Al Horford, Marcus Smart, Derek White shooting display, I, it actually made me more confident. All right, then it's been real. All right, it's been real. Be safe out there, Liquor Mark. Peace. Peace.